Well, good morning. How we doing? Good. Uh, how many of you are grandparents in the room? Just a show of hands. Did you know officially today is Grandparents Day? So we want to applaud all the grandparents. There you go. If you've, uh, if you've got grandparents uh, still alive, you could give them a call today and, and just let them know you appreciate them. And uh, tomorrow morning we're at uh, RRCA, this place will be full of uh, grandparents. And uh, uh, they have to do it in two shifts, and uh, 8.30 in the morning and 1 o'clock. So parking lot will be full all day, and, uh, and uh, we'll have a good chance to celebrate. But also today is uh, the 21st anniversary of 9-11, and uh, that, that's just hard to believe. We're talking about a generation now to, uh, you know, 21 years and younger that have no knowledge of that. Um, I, I've got a friend, Jerry Molnar, that I uh, called up a while ago just to, Jerry was working at the uh, World Trade Center when it, um, when it, the planes came. He uh, happened to be delayed that day, and uh, he did not get there before the planes flew into the Trade Center. And his, I think he was on the, like the 75th floor. And uh, everybody that he worked with was killed. And Jerry told me a while ago, he had been on a Zoom call. I, was assume, I, I assume it was with uh, survivors and family of survivors from 9-11. He said there was a, a firefighter that spoke for about 15 minutes. Jerry said he got to speak uh, 30 minutes uh, to the group. But the, this firefighter spoke, and he had been trapped under rubble, but they got him free, and the guy went back in to save lives. But uh, Jerry said he's had 19 surgeries since, uh, since in, in 21 years. So, uh, you know, we think, oh, that happened 21 years ago. But when you think about a guy that still uh, hasn't fully recovered and, from that, it just was a day that changed our nation forever. We know that, and, uh, and so we remember it today. Uh, the month of uh, August, we talked about swimming against the flow, going against the flow of our culture and how our culture, uh, to a certain degree, has turned its back on God in many ways. And we looked at how we as Christ followers go against that culture. And the month of uh, September, we are looking at James. He wrote a little letter towards the back of the New Testament. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And, and we're looking at distractions in our day that take our gaze off of Jesus. And last week we talked about trials, how these trials come, uh, and, and this is a distraction. And there are many distractions uh, that, that we face on an on, ongoing basis in our day. Do you know what fubbing is? Uh, fubbing, I'm going to give you a picture here. This is actually a, a word that has entered into our vocabulary these days. It's called fubbing. 
Fubbing is when you are so distracted by your uh, device that you ignore other people around you. That's called fubbing. You, you've probably been to a restaurant and you look at a family across the way. Mom and dad have their phone. Uh, the children may have their pad or whatever, and there's no dialogue that is taking place. Well, fubbing is that very thing. We are so uh, accustomed and addicted to our phones and social media that we actually ignore other people. It's a, it's a huge distraction from building deep interpersonal relationships. You can see how the enemy would use that distraction to keep you off of gazing upon Christ. I don't know how many of you have done this. I, I know I'm not the only one guilty of that. You, you think, oh, I need to search that. And so you pull out your device or your phone or whatever you have, and you, uh, and you think, ah, oh, I got an email. And so you go to your email and think, oh, man, I need to go to Facebook. I haven't checked that out or, or uh, Instagram or whatever you check out. And then you think, oh, I, I've still got a few minutes. I can play a card game uh, on there or your favorite game. And the next thing you know, you forgot what you even were going to Google search because you've become so distracted. You know what I'm talking about because uh, we, we waste so much time with this distraction that keeps us uh, uh, from our focus. And so we see distractions all the time that take us uh, away from our gaze and what needs to be there. Well, today we're going to be in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. And the distraction today is anger. The distraction in our lives and in our culture today that we're going to talk about is anger. It's, you know as well as I do that you look at the news, you look at our society today, it's like somebody is exploding all the time. Somebody has imploded and then they lead it to explosion. And what happens is there's anger all the time just under the surface. And it's just waiting for a catalyst to let it explode. We see this all the time. We see it in the, the racial divisions that continue to exist. We see it in political realms. We see it in issues that we're having to face. And it, it just seems like, it, and road rage, it just happens all the time. We, we've had as many uh, murders in Austin as uh, it's almost like a record break this year. Uh, in what is taking place, not to mention cities like Chicago, who uh, are always, it, it just seems, exploding. And so we look at this, and right under the surface, it just seems like, especially in road rage, somebody cuts somebody off, uh, maybe not intentional, but they've cut them off, and the next thing you know, it's not only yelling anymore, but there's the threat of violence that's going to come with that. And so we see this in our culture today right under the surface. And in 1945, the United Nations came into existence after World War II. The United Nations was to uh, try to navigate this world system to try to keep peace 
as much as they uh, possibly could. And I discovered that all the years of recorded history, that we have recorded history of man, that there have only been 268 years of no war and peace. In other words, we live in a day that, uh, and it's not just the Ukraine. If it wasn't the Ukraine, it would be somewhere else. Iraq, Afghanistan, going back to Vietnam, going back to the World Wars, Korea. Uh, there's always the threat of war because anger is just right under the surface and will cooler heads prevail. Anger, here's, let me give you a definition of anger that we're going to work with. Anger, a feeling of frustration, annoyance, or hostility. It's a feeling that you have. Now, how you act on that feeling is, is huge. But it's a feeling of frustration, annoyance, or hostility. And you can be angry at a person. You can be angry at a, a situation or a circumstance or a group of people I don't know what may be out there, but you may have a built-up anger towards uh, even God. God allowed somebody close to you to pass away, or uh, there was a disease of some sort, or an infirmity that they got, somebody close to you, and you got, God, you could have prevented that. Why did you do that? And we get angry with God and those feelings come out of frustration and annoyance and, and to extreme becomes hostile. But I want you to think about this. That anger, basically we get angry because we have unmet expectations. Unmet expectations create this anger that we have. So, in other words, if somebody doesn't measure up to what you were expecting, instead of understanding a little bit or talking, we just get angry. You can't do anything. You can't do it right. They, they can't, didn't come through. Our politicians didn't come through. Our football team didn't come through. We get angry. That coach, that quarterback... That person, I can't believe that. We just get angry because our expectations were not met. And according to the scriptures, we see two kinds of anger. We see, first of all, a righteous, just anger. It's an anger because someone has been treated unjustly. And we know that God cares deeply for this situation and it's a wrong that has been done, so there is a just anger that comes in. Now, that's the just anger. But the Scripture talks about a second anger. The Greek word is orge, but it literally means a selfish anger. That you have a selfish anger in your flesh that has crept in and consumes you, and we see the results of this selfish anger. And most of our anger is selfish anger. Now, I know somebody's going to think, no, all my anger is justified. Uh, no, it's probably not. But we have this selfish anger, and there's some results today that we're seeing in our culture 
because of this selfish anger. Number one, reason ceases. You know, you cannot... We, we think about these things in our country right now. The division that is there. And we're thinking, okay, rational people should be able to sit down even if they don't agree and lay this on the table. That's what reason says. But when selfish anger kicks in, there's no reason. You, you just can't... You, your side is so important that you're going to overcome that person any way you can, and you're not going to see uh, their reason reasoning. Second of all, right behind that, is truth is off the table. You don't come to truth. Truth is relative, right? If somebody believes a certain way, and I believe a certain other way, then their truth is just as uh, big as my truth, so we, we get closed off. Here's the third thing as a result of selfish anger. It leads to rash decisions. Now, I don't think somebody uh, on road rage intended to drive out on the highway and then pull a gun and take somebody's life because I, I just think it was a rash decision. They exploded all of a sudden and they, they live with the regret the rest of their life. And some of you may have been in that position. I think the jails are, are full of people today that made incredibly poor decisions because of an anger outpouring, and they live with regret today. And we see this in selfish anger. Here's a fourth thing that we're seeing the result of selfish anger. We're seeing physical uh, maladies today because of selfish anger. Many people don't explode, they implode. Depression has been defined sometimes as anger turned inward. And so uh, many times there is, we, we have this selfish anger that comes upon us and we, we find ourselves with physical maladies because of it. High blood pressure, heart problems, other problems that exist that come, many of it mental because we have held on to certain things and cannot let them go. We don't seem to be able to do that. So we see this physical weakness that has come into our culture. But this is the one that concerns me the most. It's among followers of Jesus that get this selfish anger and what happens is their spiritual life stagnates all of a sudden. They can't grow. They can't go beyond where they are because they have a selfish anger that has risen inside of them and they cannot forgive. They cannot let it go. And what happens is they remain at that spiritual position instead of uh, being able to grow as the Holy Spirit would have them grow. And, and we see that even in marriages that we see this anger, selfish anger arising. And I know when I use the term selfish anger, we want to justify ourselves any way we possibly can. It, it's like the uh, couple, the married couple, and they made the statement, you know, we've made a decision. We will never go to bed angry. And you're thinking, man, that's great. Until they say, 
And by the way, we haven't slept in three weeks. <laughs> and I think that's the way we are. We, we, we want to uh, define our selfish anger. We, we want to justify it. Uh, now, James 1, beginning with verse 19 I want, to, I want to unpack this a little bit about what James says as we walk through this about the distraction of anger. Remember, these distractions take our gaze away from uh, our Lord. Verse 19, I'm going to read through the uh, verse 27 and then unpack it a little bit. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, and the word looks here is as a gaze. The one who is gazing. You see, we're always headed a direction. You're going to go where you're gazing. Now, we, we gaze and we go. We glance at what's around us. But if you're in your car, you're gazing at where you're going. You glance in your rearview mirror. You glance in your side mirrors. But you're going a particular place. And what James says here, but the one who gazes into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's kind of break this apart a little bit. First of all, James says this. He says, be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Uh, it's been said you have two ears and one mouth. Use them accordingly. And we have a tendency to speak before we actually discern and hear everything. And he is literally saying this. What does God say about this situation? What does God say about this situation? And we look at, especially the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus. He says to this, he says, resist evil. He said, if somebody, uh, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn to him your other. If someone sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go two. Don't, don't, don't dwell on this stuff. It's going to entrap you. And so Jesus is saying, don't resist evil. And then he goes on to say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, and you'll be sons of your Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying, 
listen, how you see things, it, you, don't, you don't see them correctly sometimes. This is how I see it. You need to resist these things. And you, and you have to ask yourself, uh, is this a righteous injustice? Is, is somebody being unjustly treated here? Uh, do, do I know the whole story about what is going on? Do I know the whole story? Stephen Covey tells a, a story in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he tells the story of a man at the end of his work day. He gets into the subway to travel home. He has uh, a, it's a car that's just about empty. He's sitting there. He's relaxed. And he's just kicking back, ready to get home. There's a stop, and on this stop, particular stop, a man gets in with three kids. The man sits down, and the kids go nuts. They're going all over the subway. They are making noise. They're screaming. They're doing all sorts of things. And the guy that it, thought he would have peace going home, he's thinking he's just getting blood pressures rising. He's getting angry. Why does this dad not do something. And he's about to speak, and the man speaks up to him, and he says, listen, he said, I'm really, uh, really sorry for my kids. He said, you see, their mother just died, and we just buried her, and they don't know how to deal with it. All of a sudden, the guy saw the whole picture. You see, in selfish anger, we just see our side of things. And we explode not seeing the whole picture. And what James says is we need to be quick to hear. We need to see and discern what God is doing here. Then he says this, we need to be slow to speak. In other words, don't let your tongue bypass your brain. And we do this all the time. We, we have a tendency just to... Uh, explode and say something and then we regret it and we can't get it back in there we we do everything we can and we say we put our foot in our mouth and that's what we do very often and you need to ask yourself are my words a blessing or are they a curse even when you're uh somebody has an offense and and has offended you uh, do you speak back in a harsh way or do you speak back in a blessing kind of way. Who's in control of your tongue? Are you in control of your tongue? James even talks, we're not going to deal with it in-depthly, but James even talks about how your tongue is the smallest of parts of your body, but yet it's a rudder and it can control your whole uh, ship and, and, and how you navigate life. And I know of people who are really good at cutting other people apart with their sarcasm and their wit, and they can do these kind of things. But is there uh, not a regret in maybe what comes there? And so James is saying, listen, you need, to be, uh, you need to hear, quick to hear, slow to speak. And then he said the third thing here. He says, you need to be slow to anger. And this is that selfish anger. He doesn't say... Not to get angry, but he said, you need to look at the whole thing. You need to hold your tongue until you've seen it all. 
and be slow to anger. And some people say, well, Mark, that's just, I'm Irish, so that's just the way I am. Uh, I grew up, and when I was little, my hair was red, and so people always equate red hair with a temper. And so that was just the way it is. You know, that's just the way I am. Uh, uh, I, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. You're just a jerk. You need to, you need to, you need to get control. And what, what uh, uh, James is saying here is that There should be no emotional losing control, losing of your temper. I don't care if you've defended yourself for very long in that area. You need to back up. You need to be slow to anger. So where does this start in this slow to anger? I tell you, it begins in your prayer closet. It doesn't begin when the issue springs up. It doesn't begin when that person cuts you off in traffic. It doesn't begin when your uh, boss gets on you. It doesn't begin when this happens. It begins in your prayer closet. You're proactive. Father, I come before you today. I know that things are going to come today. I just want to walk in them in in the filling of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that's why I want to live my day off. I I know, help me to resist evil. I know this is going to come today. Father, I just lean on you. It begins in your prayer closet. But it begins also, and you you do realize that fatigue, fatigue spiritually, fatigue mentally, and fatigue physically uh, will set you off even quicker. So you need to be proactive in taking care of yourself uh, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Because you know as well as I do, somebody is going to get on your last nerve and jump up and down. And, and you're going to be tempted. But if you have dealt with this earlier in your day, then you're prepared somewhat for what, what's going to take place. And I look at it this way. If anger, selfish anger comes and knocks on the door of your heart, let the Holy Spirit answer. Let him be the one to answer. And I, like I said, your tongue may be eloquent in cutting people down. You may have sarcasm, uh, the gift of sarcasm. You may have uh, that, the ability, you may have the orat- uh, oratory skills of a, uh, an attorney that can just defend yourself to the hilt. But my question is, at what expense? Does that happen? Um, I, read, I read an article. It was written in 1994. I didn't read this article, but the title intrigued me. It was called War's Lethal Leftovers Threaten Europe. It was written in 1994. So what the premise of the article was, was that In World War II, so many bombs were dropped all over Europe that many of those bombs didn't detonate. And so years later, even current, uh, annually, people lose their lives or lose their limbs because of uh, bombs that were dropped in the 1940s. So I did a Google search on, is this true? And sure enough, I found that it is true. 
And not that everything on Google is true, but this is true. And it said that 10% of the bombs that were dropped during World War II over Europe, 10% did not detonate. And so today, people are still finding these bombs, and they are still live, and, and annually, many people lose their lives because of these bombs. And that's the way selfish anger is. We may uh, throw our, our bombs out there of anger and selfishness and defend ourselves and blah, 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 and we just do this. But are we laying out there landmines that we don't know the effect in the long run? Our kids are watching us. Our, our, our family is watching us. Others are watching us. What might be the... Um, the expense at which we do that? And will others get caught in the fallout of the way we are? So, he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And then he says this, be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. Not hearers only. You know, we like to read the Bible. We like to go to Bible study. We like uh, the, the little daily devotionals that we read and this kind of stuff. I always read the Word of God in that, how does this translate into my daily living? I, I have to ask myself, uh, when I finish preparing a message for you, I'm not really so much concerned uh, about how it hits right now. I want to know that on Monday morning when you go to school, you go to the office, you go to your neighborhood, how effective was it at that point? You see, that's the way the Word of God works. And so we are to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Your life and actions show what you really believe. In other words, your actions are so loud that I can't hear your voice. I, I really get, I was going to say, I get angry. Uh, and maybe, uh, this, this is probably a justified anger. Uh, but for somebody to speak Christianese, so to speak, and their life just does not reflect it. I mean, that's a, that's a kingdom thing that uh, is out there. Our lives ought to be different. I, I, I read the scriptures, and I look at it this way. A truly redeemed life, a, a life that is born again, a life that has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ will be visibly different. Will be visibly different. I don't, I don't mean a fisher in your car. I mean, you will be visibly different. How you deal with life, how you deal with, with things. I, I, I firmly believe this, because sometimes we think, oh, they're a follower of Jesus. They shouldn't be going through things. They shouldn't be going through physical infirmities. They shouldn't be going through kids that uh, rebel. They shouldn't be going in uh, job loss, economic struggles. That's the way people sometimes think. I think God allows us to go through that, even as followers of Jesus, because our world is wanting to know, 
how do you deal with these things differently from how I deal with them? And we are able to give a testimony of Jesus Christ in our infirmities, and others see that and makes a difference. So the, a redeemed life, number one, ought to look different. But a second thing, a redeemed life ought to start looking like Jesus. And I don't mean sandals and beard and that kind of thing. I mean our character ought to start resembling our Lord. There will be sacrificial living. There will be sacrificial giving. There will be unconditional love. There will be surrendering, you ready for this, of our so-called rights. I look at Jesus. Jesus got angry with the money changers in the temple. I mean, he, he made a whip. He turned the tables over. Why did he do that? Because they were deterring people from truly worshiping the one God. And so he came and he turned those tables over. He was angry. But he was hanging on a cross and he was looking down at Roman soldiers that had put him on that cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus' character, he knew there was a righteous time to be angry. But the time you thought he would have had selfish anger, he responded with unconditional love. That's what we're called to have. That kind of impact. And, and you're saying, well, that's hard. That's why he's given you his very presence and his Holy Spirit to indwell you. And he's working from the inside out to make you different. If you are a true Christ follower, your faith will be different from the world. Look at verse 26 again, if you have your Bibles open. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Bridle his tongue. In other words, our speech will be different. Our speech will be edifying. Our speech will not be putting down and cutting. It will be building up. And if you don't have something good to say, say nothing. You know, we live in a world today where Christians have spoken and spoken truth so often. It's not what we speak, it's how we speak it. And we are seeing a culture today that's turning its back on Christ followers because of the way we have spoken. And number two, after our edifying speech, notice what it says in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So not only will our speech be edifying, but number two, we will stand up for the defenseless. People often wonder, why do you followers of Jesus get so up in arms about uh, the unborn? Why is that such a big deal to y'all? 
It's because the unborn have no voice. And if we're not their voice, they will not have a voice. And so we're called to protect the defenseless. But not only in the womb, but out of the womb as well. There are many that are defenseless. And it mentions two here. It mentions widows and orphans. It mentions uh, to take care of those that aren't that don't have some kind of umbrella of protection. We are called as followers of Jesus to stand up for the defenseless. And then he says one other thing. He says to keep yourself unstained from the world. Now, what James is saying is what we need to hear more than anything today. We've been talking about it. Don't be conformed to this culture. Be transformed. Be different. This is not home. We're strangers and aliens here. We're passing through. Yes, we want to make this the best place. We want to, uh, Chris, Christians ought to be the best citizens, the best students, the best uh, employers, the best employees. That's what Christians ought to be. Because we are out there representing the salt of the earth and the, and the light of the world. We ought to be the best. We ought to do our best at everything we do. But so often, we, that's not the case. But we are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. I was, I was reading, and I, I, I want to wrap up with this. I was reading in Genesis uh, chapter 13. And what, it, what it's the story of is Abram who became Abraham and Lot, his nephew. They had traveled, and now they've come back, and uh, they have been blessed by God. They have flocks, they have family, they have all these things, and they decide, uh, okay, where are you going to live, Lot, with all your group? Abram says, uh, you go where you're going to go, I'll go somewhere else to live. And so it says in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah were a sin city of the day. We get the word Sodomite, the sin of sodomy, from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that God was eventually going to uh, take these cities out because they were so vile. And what it says is, is that Lot moved his tent as far as Sodom. In other words, he chose to live close to the sin. Instead of backing way away, he chose to live close to it. And then we come to Genesis chapter 14. And it says this in, in verse 12. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. He was close to Sodom. Now one chapter later, he is living in Sodom. And Abram has to go and deliver him and pull him out uh, so that his family may be spared. We know his wife looked back and, and it was to her detriment, or to her death, 
that that happened. But here's the case. We think sometimes, oh, I'm not involved in that sin. I'm not, uh, I'm not doing that. But we're dwelling so close. We can, we can see it. We can smell it. We, we're, we, there's a part of us that wish we are involved in it, but I'm just living close. I'm not in it. Let me tell you, you're living close. It's just a matter of time before you're in it. And so what James is saying here, he's saying, listen, we need to remember the defenseless. We need to speak uh, uh, edifying. But listen, we need to remain unstained by the world. There needs to be a difference in us. And I think the way we handle offenses when it comes to anger is a huge testimony of our Lord. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. And uh, the worship team is going to come. And, and as your heads bow, you know, I, I, I don't want this time to be the beginning at the end. I want it to be the most important time of while we're here and so I just want to speak to your heart one quick minute, and then we're going to sing this song of worship. How are you dealing with anger? Do you have a temper? Do you even get angry with somebody? You make a post on social media and somebody cowardly comments and you just get angry with them? Listen, that's just a tool of the enemy to distract you. I'm not saying get off social media, but I'm saying quit worshiping social media. Do not, likes, do not let likes and dislikes determine your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. So, wash that stuff off, man. Father, I pray over these people today. I pray over the one that is here today that is yet to be a follower of Jesus. They're still a slave to sin. They're a slave to this world. <clears throat> Father, they need to know you, the one true Savior. There is no other name by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray for that person. But Lord, I pray for all of us. May we have the courage to humble ourselves before you today and say, Lord, take my selfish anger. Take my unforgiveness. Lord, help me to respond as you responded. So Father, I pray over us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. If pastors and elders would come forward for prayer, maybe you need to come kneel at this altar and just say, God, I need to give this to you today. It, it hit too close to home. I want to deal with the Father today. Lord, supper's on my left and right if you need that time with the Lord. But you just come. Let's have the courage to be obedient right now. You come.